0: This is Luke 15. If, if I were to pick one chapter in the Bible that uh, is just it for me, this would be the one. So this is the first few verses. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is more joy in the presence of the angels over God, over one sinner who repents. Now, I'm a southerner. I was born in Alabama, grew up in South Carolina, and I have given some thought to the way that we speak as southerners. And I think to put this in context for us, perhaps we need a southern flair to understanding just what's going on with the Pharisees and those with whom Jesus was dining and they were listening to Jesus. Uh, we have a certain way of exaggerating in the South. I like to use the terms big old. So if you're going to talk about something, you've got to say, if you want to emphasize it, well, that was a big old truck, or he caught a big old trout. So emphasis is really important in our language. If you want to sell somebody you know what they should do, you can use words like oughta. Well, uh, you oughta do that. Or, hey, y'all oughta not be up on that roof. That means get down. Oughta. Words that are thrown together like eat. Hey, eat? No, you?" That's when you want to know if they've had something to eat. And you can't just say that something's good, you have to really put an art and flair to it. And this is one of my favorites, just, wow, that cake is good, or that cherry pie is so good that if I were to slap some on my forehead, my tongue would beat my brains out trying to get to it. That's a little Southern flair. But we Southerners have a way of being judgmental, and perhaps no better than the Pharisees, we just do it with a little more style. So, to insult somebody, you have to be creative. Like, that boy, his elevator doesn't go all the way to the top. Or, that girl, her cheese done slid off her cracker. He's long on drywall and short on studs. That telephone's ringing, but there's nobody home. She's living in a 100 watt world with a 40 watt bulb, that kind of thing. <laughs> and, of course, You can be as pharisaical and judgmental as you want as long as you put this little phrase at the end. Bless her heart. (laughs) He's as dumb as dirt. Bless his heart. She doesn't have the sense God gave a mule. Bless her heart. That boy's so ugly, he fell off the ugly tree and hit every branch on the way down. Bless his heart. (laughs) If brains were money, he'd be about 75 cents short of buying a Coke. (laughs) But bless his heart. Judgmental. That's what the Pharisees were. And for their mindset, you needed bad to be good. Pharisee means the separate ones. They had separated themselves out from others to show that they were better than. Now, they weren't perfect, but they were a lot closer. And that's how they thought about it. And in Jesus' day, you were defined by your race. Every race thought they were better than others. In Jesus' day, people were condemned by illness or weakness If you weren't able, if you weren't as strong or as fit or you had sickness, you were condemned as unclean. In Jesus' day, people were condemned for their poverty. Wealth was a blessing from God and poverty was a curse. So the poor were considered cursed by God, thus justifying the indulgences of the rich. Glad we don't have that problem. In Jesus' day, people were condemned for their beliefs. For example... Pharisees believed in the immortality of the soul, God's working in all things, and in strict observance of the law, and they condemned others who didn't hold the same beliefs. And in Jesus' day, people were condemned for their actions. To commit sin made you a sinner. It's like being at school. I learned to spell phonically, and I couldn't understand why phone could be spelled with a P and an H. So I was a bad speller. Ways we try and show superiority are just through those things. Race, health, wealth, what we think. We think better than you, we're smarter than you, and what we do. And it's becoming so divisive in our country that just to be on one side you have to to hate the other. And that's where the Pharisees were. And so Jesus had the power and the ability to not label people. He didn't put labels on people, and so he had the freedom to move. And what we think psychology is often about is about putting labels on people, but really it's about how we move. Jesus could move toward a group and saw children of God. And in this passage, you notice Jesus has moved... Or the, the sinners that moved toward Jesus, Jesus moved toward them. But he also moves toward the Pharisees. Notice here that the Pharisees don't talk to Jesus, they talk about Jesus. So check your own patterns and your own language. If you find yourself not talking to people, but talking about them, if in your head you think about people, but don't really bridge the gap, you don't cross the distance, then you may want to check it out, because that's making you more like the separate ones and less like Jesus. So Jesus moves. He moves and he crosses the distance. And then even those who don't talk to him but talk about them, he moves and opens the door by telling them a parable. He tells them the story, the story of the lost sheep. And if you think about it, there's 99 sheep and there's one. Now, a couple of things. One is You can see why they're going to kill him, because Jesus says, which one of you having a hundred sheep? Well, these Pharisees are rich enough. They don't have sheep. They might have somebody to keep their sheep, but they don't do that. It's also not a very good business practice to leave your 99 and go look for one. So the things he asked, which one of you? Well, none of you. Which which good shepherd wouldn't? Well, none of them. But God would. Because God moves. This is about location and movement, not about character and what's wrong with them. The difference between the one sheep and the other sheep is where the sheep is, not who the sheep is. The difference between the one coin and the other nine is the uh, the coin has the exact same value, looks exactly like the others, it's just lost. And if you think about how the Bible describes people... It's all about where people are, not about what they are. There's a woman who's at a well in the middle of the day. That's where she is. Zacchaeus is up a tree. That's where he is. The lepers are on the outside of town. That's where they are. And Jesus goes to them. So location and lostness and distance is the problem. So Jesus is one who moves toward us. And I want to give you a story, a little bit longer story, of just that kind of movement by a teacher whose student moved toward her, and then she had a transformation. She went from teaching reading, writing, and arithmetic to teaching students. The kid's name was Teddy Stoddard, and her name was Ms. Thompson. And she stood in front of her fifth grade class and told them that she didn't have favorites. But she did find some easier than others. And she had watched Teddy the year before and noticed that he didn't play well with other children, that his clothes were messy, and that he constantly needed a bath. And that Teddy could be unpleasant. It got to the point where Ms. Thompson would actually take delight in marking his papers with a red pen when he had her class. And she was required one day to review all the children's past records, and she put Teddy's off until last. When she reviewed his files, she was surprised. Teddy's first grade teacher wrote this Teddy is a bright child with a with a ready laugh, and he does his work neatly and has good manners. He's a joy to be around. His second-grade teacher wrote, Teddy's an excellent student, well-liked by his classmates, but he's troubled because his mother has an illness, and life at home must be a struggle. His third-grade teacher wrote, His mother's death has been hard on him. He tries to do his best, but his father doesn't show much interest, and his home life will soon affect him if some steps aren't taken. Teddy's fourth grade teacher wrote, Teddy is withdrawn and doesn't show much interest in school. He doesn't have many friends and sometimes sleeps in class. Ms. Thompson started feeling pretty bad about herself because she felt worse when her students brought Christmas presents wrapped in beautiful ribbons and bright paper except Teddy's. His was in a heavy brown paper bag he'd gotten from a grocery store. Miss Thompson took pains to open in the middle of other presents. Some of the children started to laugh when she found a rhinestone bracelet with some of the stones missing and a bottle that was one quarter full of perfume. She stifled the children's laughter when she exclaimed how pretty the bracelet was, putting it on, and she put some of the perfume on her wrist. And Teddy stayed after school that day just long enough to say to Miss Thompson, Today you smell just like my mom used to. And after the children left, she cried for about an hour. And on that day, she had a transformation, a little road to Damascus experience when she stopped teaching reading, writing, arithmetic, and instead she began to teach children. And she paid particular attention to Teddy as she worked with him His mind seemed to come alive, and the more she encouraged him, the faster he responded. By the end of the year, Teddy had become one of the smartest children in the class, and some called him her pet. A year later, she found a note under her door from Teddy telling her that she was still the best teacher he ever had in his whole life. Six years went by before she got another note. He then wrote that he had finished high school, third in his class, and she was still the best teacher he ever had in his whole life. Four years after that, she got another letter saying that while things had been tough at times, he stayed in school, had stuck with it, and soon would graduate from college with honors. He assured Miss Thompson that she was still the best and favorite teacher he ever had in his whole life. Four more years passed, and another letter came, and this time he explained that after he got his bachelor's degree, he decided to go a little farther, but she was still the best and favorite teacher he'd ever had and. And the letter was signed, Theodore F. Stoddard, M.D. The story doesn't end there because there was another letter that spring. Teddy had met a girl and he was going to get married. And he explained that his father had died a couple years ago. And he was wondering if Miss Thompson might agree to sit in the place at the wedding that was usually reserved for the mother of the groom. Of course, she did. And she wore the bracelet the one with the rhinestones missing. And she made sure she was wearing the perfume that Teddy had remembered his mother wearing. They hugged each other, and Dr. Stoddard whispered in Ms. Thompson's ear, thank you, Ms. Thompson, for believing in me. Thank you for making me feel important and showing me that I could make a difference. Ms. Thompson, with tears in her eyes, whispered back, she said, Teddy, you have it all wrong. You're the one who taught me that I could make a difference. I didn't know how to teach until I met you. One of the mission statements of this church is to reach the lost. And to use this story to just illustrate, they were both lost. She is a teacher and him as a child and as a student. And if that's our goal, it's not a story to encourage our, I mean, it is a story to encourage teachers, but it's not to put all the pressure on them because they have a whole class, but you can cross the distance. You can cross the distance and find that kid that's left out. You can cross the distance and find that child who just needs an adult so they can see themselves through somebody's eyes without all the anxiety of their future, without all the burden of their past. And we have facilitated one another by putting in our presence a preschool, some 80 scouts, an elementary school of 500 children with the doors wide open, and another one in Haiti with 400 students. You just got to cross the distance. And maybe it's not any of those children. Maybe it's a child of God who's in their 70s or 80s or 90s. But you just got to cross that distance. Because in trying to reach out to the lost, That's when you get found. And that's the good news of the gospel. From God who reaches out to us and crosses the distance. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, we would be part of your kingdom, so cross the distance to us so that we might cross it to others. That's why we've come, that's why we've gathered. We lift our voices, praying as we were taught, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven,